Hello and welcome to the Your Favourite Teacher podcast. Today we're going to be looking at the strange case of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. For additional support materials visit www.yourfavouriteteacher.com Today we're going to have a look at our mad scientist Dr Henry Jekyll. Let's start by discussing what we know. Dr Jekyll is the old friend of Mr Utterson and Dr Lanyon. We know he is a seemingly respectable, intelligent man as he's a doctor. A doctor is also a healer and someone who we assume to be a good man. The inclusion of the title doctor is a choice Stevenson made and a significant piece of evidence. Does he do more harm than good? Is this ironic? We know he is middle to upper class, yet he has this other side to him, this duality, a battle between good and evil wages war within him. And we know that in an effort to indulge in his more immoral pleasures, he found a way to transform into another darker version of himself, Edward Hyde. As he seems to become more under the influence of Mr Hyde, Jekyll's secrecy and seclusion causes his old friends to become detectives. Jekyll communicates through documents, written wills and sealed letters that instruct the reader as they do his friends. In his final confession, he admits to having always had both positive and very dark urges, a duality that he believes is a natural human phenomenon. He is a determined scientist and he has secretly dedicated his life to finding out the truth about his own duality and that of the human race and in so doing discovers a potion that allows him to transform into his evil side, Mr Hyde. Now, the truth of Jekyll's indulgences aren't revealed until the end of the novella, so apologies for the spoilers, but we need to know what he does before we can begin to examine why. Or more importantly, why Stevenson constructs this character. We know that the debate of science and religion was beginning to rear its ugly head when Stevenson was writing this story. And he was really interested by the works of Darwin and the evolution of mankind. The characters of Jekyll and Hyde really explore the concept of man and what it really means to be a human being. Let's acknowledge the fact that when you have a character analysis of Jekyll, you can also of course include information about Hyde. Jekyll is Hyde and I think as the story develops, Hyde's influence over Jekyll grows stronger and stronger. However, in today's lesson, I'm not going to talk too much about Hyde. We're going to instead look at the man without the monster, so to speak. So let's have a look at him first through Utterson's eyes. He claims the thoughts of his mind, besides, were of the gloomiest dye. And when he glanced at the companion of his drive, he was conscious of some touch of terror of the law and the law's officers, which may at times assail the most honest. Ugh, what a mouthful. This here describes a man who has an inner conflict and is trying to find a solution. His thoughts here are distorted and his actions seem indescribable. His mixed personality causes his disgruntled thoughts as well as his crazy actions when he takes over the character of Hyde. These actions go to show that there is possibly quite a lot of evil that is hiding within Jekyll. Excuse the pun. After the death of Sir Danvers, Dr Jekyll begins to change his ways. Instead of being unreliable and constantly secluded, he becomes outgoing and social once more. 
Unbeknownst to Utterson, Jekyll has become social again because he is not transformed into Hyde half the time. Jekyll is operating under the naive belief that he can control Hyde forever, or just quit him cold turkey. Jekyll is so confident that the good, rational part of his soul is in control that he surrounds himself with friends and well-wishers again as if nothing ever happened. In reality, Hyde is lurking, just below the surface, waiting for the right time to strike. The character of Jekyll can be broken down into a Freudian structural theory of the mind. That means there is the ego, the superego, and the id. Our ego is our reality, the superego our morality, and the id is our instinct. Mr Hyde would seem easily recognisable as the id, seeking instant gratification and having aggressive instincts that have no real moral compass. Dr Jekyll then is the ego. He is conscious and rational and is dominated by social principles. He has a difficult time juggling between the demands of the id represented by Mr Hyde and the superego as represented by the moral codes of Victorian society, which prided itself on refinement, goodness and rules. In the novel, Dr Jekyll gives in to his impulses and after initial pleasure soon cannot control their power. Rather than letting Mr Hyde go free and realising that Hyde needs Jekyll to exist, he decides to end his own life. Jekyll also undergoes physical changes. He becomes weaker, frail and a recluse, avoiding public gatherings and spending time with his friends. The potion he is taking for transformation is affecting him so negatively. It seems to have the same effect as a drug, and his dependency and change in temperament look frighteningly like addiction. This darker element of the story is relatable for anyone that has known such struggles. All of these things cause much worry within Utterson, who is really our main narrator and a dear friend of Jekyll. They make the reader question what on earth is going on with Jekyll? Remember, knowledge of who Hyde is is unknown throughout. He starts by having every mark of capacity and kindness, showing how socially acceptable he was. If we consider this time period, he is doing all the right things. He's a man about society, he's an ambitious man, and most of all, a scientific man. Stevenson uses Jekyll to explore ideas about science. Dr Jekyll is experimental with transcendental medicine, which shows that he's extremely intelligent. But also, we must remember that what he is doing is extremely controversial. He falls out with Dr Lanyon as a result of his unscientific balderdash, and he is described as doing fanciful work, which again suggests that he is outside the boundaries of what would have been acceptable at that time. He seems to be moving from science into pseudoscience and maybe even the supernatural and the mystical. Certainly a realm of inquiry into things that aren't quite as black and white as people were used to. If we look at when Utterson first questions Jekyll about Hyde, the large handsome face of Dr Jekyll grew pale to the very lips. So here we have the juxtaposition of a handsome face growing pale, implying that he becomes almost ill at the mention of him. Why is he pale? Is he nervous about something? A blackness about his eyes. Now, wherever we have blackness, there are connotations of evil, doom, and eyes are often seen as symbolic, the window to the soul. So whilst Jekyll may be able to lie and keep his secrets about Hyde, the darkness in his eyes foreshadows the danger he may really be in. Now, you don't have to remember all these long quotations. The micro quotes you want to consider here are pale, darkness, and eyes. You want to make sure that you embed the evidence into your answers. Jekyll claims that 
You cannot understand my position, returned the doctor, with a certain incoherency of manner. I am painfully situated, Utterson. My position is very strange, a very strange one. It is one of those affairs that cannot be mended by talking. So we have a few items to dissect from this section. Pain, the idea of mending, which implies something has been broken here. He plays on his relationship with Utterson. He says, you know me, I am a man to be trusted. This shows how he is perceived by his friend, even if in fact it doesn't match up with the reality. Jekyll reassures Utterson that he can control the situation. I will tell you one thing, the moment I choose, I can be rid of Mr Hyde. The reader can pick up on the clues that perhaps it isn't as simple as that, and maybe Jekyll's control isn't as strong as he believes. He concludes this passage, I beg of you to let it sleep. Now sleep is a motif that Stevenson uses quite regularly. The connotations of sleep, being at peace, nightmares and dreams are very linked with the ideas of illusion versus reality. It seems like Jekyll and Hyde are in many ways opposites, rivalling one another, and perhaps peace is something Jekyll is severely lacking. When Jekyll first discusses his experiences of Hyde, he claims it delighted me like a wine. Now the use of this simile is significant because we can explore the connotations of wine. He is experimenting with Hyde, and it seems to give him pleasure, like wine, but perhaps in excess can cause misjudgments, recklessness and long-lasting damage, just like wine. He later refers to himself as a drunkard, which is again metaphorical because he became too addicted to the indulgent transformations. He has lost control. He is desperate for his next fix. This is a motif again of Hyde being an addiction of some sort. He talks of his state like a daydream and how he would dwell with pleasure. So it's worth remembering that Jekyll was enjoying his initial experiences with Hyde. And when we later feel sympathy for him and that he becomes trapped, it's important to note that he did this to himself. Whilst there are lots of examples where the readers do feel sympathy for Jekyll, we must also acknowledge how dabbling in these misdemeanours, taking a single step down a wrong path, can have unforeseen implications. If we look at Aristotle's virtue ethics, then being a good or bad person is purely based on the actions you take. If you consider yourself a good person, but you keep doing bad things, eventually you're going to have to realise that you are a bad person. You are your deeds. You are your choices. If we look at the timeline of Jekyll, who was once respected, admired with friends, to somebody who is actually responsible for numerous wrongdoings, even murder. When we look at Jekyll's transformation, we see the verbs reeled, staggered and clutched. These are easy to remember and they show how physically exhausting and destructive his change is. If you are staggering, you don't have the stability or control. In the same way that Jekyll does not have control over Hyde. This potion taking that started out as an exciting thrill is now all-consuming. To have to clutch onto something shows quite how frail he has become. He looks like a man restored from death. This quote further builds the picture of Jekyll's complete lack of self. He is a ghost of what he once was. Stevenson is certainly dabbling with the supernatural, which is typical for the gothic genre, and shows how body and identity link. So many questions are being posed here for the reason about the human person and mind. And it's okay that Stevenson doesn't have the answers. It was written at a time of questioning, so it's extremely reflective of the era. The final piece of evidence we're going to look at for Stevenson's portrayal of Jekyll 
is his confession to be chief of sinners, chief of sufferers. Now, a chief is someone with authority, the most important, the most significant of sinners. He acknowledges that he has done wrong, but he is also saying that he has got his comeuppance. The juxtaposition of sinner and sufferer combined with the repetition of chief shows how perhaps the sinner led to the suffering. These wrongdoings have led to his destruction. Okay, so that was a lot to take in. It's okay if you don't remember all of this. You need to have a clear concept of who Jekyll was, his respectability and also his weaknesses and how they destroyed him in the end. Visit yourfavouriteteacher.com for videos, worksheets and everything you need to exceed in your studies. Thanks for listening.